Good evening, I'm Paula Weinstein. I'm a producer and I work at Tribeca as well. Welcome to the 13th annual Tribeca Film Festival. We're pleased to have you join us for this kickoff of our future film series. It's really quite a remarkable series this year, as is the two men who we're starting with, we're starting with tonight. We have Brian Cranston and Terry Winter, Nate Silverman, Silver, Bo Williman, David Simon, talking and arguing about the collision of storytelling from everything from neuroscience to news, media, to big data. Tonight, we dive in with two remarkable men both incredibly gifted and renowned for writing speeches, Aaron Sorkin and John Favreau. I've spent most of my movie career dreaming of working with Aaron Sorkin, and this is my big chance, and I'm thrilled to introduce them both. Um, I, am, uh, I am the other John Favreau. Uh, I, am, <laughs> I am not a director of films, but uh, I was... The director of speechwriting for uh, President Barack Obama for the last eight years, and um, thank you. Uh, and I am very lucky tonight to be sitting with someone whose work inspired me and and so many other young people I know uh, to get into public service in the first place. Um, Aaron Sorkin has, uh, in his very long, successful, and memorable career, uh, has won an Academy Award. Uh, and a Golden Globe for uh, his work on uh, The Social Network, six Emmy Awards for The West Wing, a show that he created um, that won 26 Emmy Awards altogether over an incredible seven-year run, and um, a long, long list of other awards and nominations um, that have made him really one of the few Hollywood writers uh, that has become a household name. Uh, and so, very excited to, to sit with you tonight, and thank you for being here tonight. It's my pleasure. It's an honor to be uh, at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival. One day, I hope to be here with a film. Um, <laughs> baby steps. Um, I wanted to start tonight um, with the topic of heroes, um, who, uh, which you have created many uh, heroes. And um, you have said before that um, what you're most interested in um, are characters where the difference isn't between good or bad, but between good and great. Yeah. What do you mean by that, and, and what drew you to that difference as a preference in, in storytelling? Well, a hero in, uh, in drama is someone who uh, risks something uh, for, uh, for the greater good and, and for something that's selfless. And in my case, the, the heroes that I usually write, and I don't always write about heroes, you know, uh, the Social Network, for instance, right. was about an anti-hero. Uh, uh, and in my case, it's, it's almost always... Uh, what the hero is risking is almost always popularity. Um, uh, that uh, you, you, you don't meet a bad guy. You don't need, meet Ebenezer Scrooge, who goes through uh, a transformation uh, through the night and becomes uh, a good person. You meet a guy who you'd be happy to hang out with, um, uh, who's fun, who does his job uh, uh, competently, if not... Well, uh, who's a, a very likable guy, but there's something stopping him or her uh, from, from doing something great because that requires taking a risk, and what they're risking uh, is, uh, is generally safety. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, if I've, I've written two fictional presidents, uh, uh, which I have to believe is easier than writing for a real one. Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> 
because I get to decide, you know, what everybody else says and does right. too. Um, uh, and uh, and what what they're always risking is is their uh, political future. Um, uh, in the case of the first thing that I wrote, which is a few good men, we met a very nice uh, a lawyer um, uh, who was extremely good at plea bargaining um, and uh, terrified of. Uh, of finding out if he was any good. Um, he just kind of wanted to uh, uh, keep his head down. He owed the Navy a certain number of years because they paid for college and law school, and he just wanted to get it done with, uh, uh, w- without making a, lo- a lot of noise. And you ask me what drew me to that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly don't. Um, uh, I can tell you that I was drawn into writing uh, not because of storytelling, although I've fallen in love with uh, storytelling over the years. What drew me to writing was uh, my parents, from a very young age, started taking me to see plays. Uh, just, I grew up uh, here in New York, and, uh, uh, and they, as kids, uh, or as young people in their 20s, had a theater-going habit, which was affordable uh, uh, when, uh, when they were young. For a couple of dollars, you could go see a play. Uh, and then they started taking me to see plays, and they started taking me to see plays that I was way too young to understand, like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf when I was nine? <laughs> Uh, uh, but um, uh, I loved the sound of dialogue. It sounded like music, and I wanted to I- imitate that sound. And as a result, uh, when I started writing, story be- was my Achilles heel. Uh, it, story was a necessary intrusion on what I really wanted to do, uh, uh, which was to write dialogue. Now, I don't know if I've gotten any better at story, but I've, I-, I love storytelling. Uh, it's We've been doing it. Forever, we've been doing it longer than we've been doing anything else. Storytelling is older than religion. Storytelling is older than the notion of an economy. Uh, and storytelling uh, can have an enormous impact. I, I'm, I'm not, when I, set, when I write something, I'm not setting out to have an enormous impact. Honestly, I'm setting out to uh, uh, capture your attention for however long I've asked for it, uh, to make it worth it for you that, uh, that you sat through it. Uh, but... There's a photograph that, that I always think about. It's one of my favorite photographs. Of, uh, it's a black and white photograph. The doors are open at the old Morasco Theater where Death of a Salesman was playing its first time around. And it's the end of a Wednesday matinee. And flowing out of, uh, of the Morasco Theater are a sea of businessmen with their shoulders slumped over. And they're looking down. They're all heading for a bar uh, across the street. And what's really remarkable about this picture is that it's a Wednesday matinee. Uh, and Wednesday matinees commonly are populated uh, by senior citizens because they, uh, they're retired. They don't have jobs. They can be at the theater at 2 in the afternoon. But this pic- photograph was taken three, four months into the run of Death of a Salesman, and word had gotten out uh, what this play was and what it was doing to people, and businessmen did not want to cry in front of their families. Um, so they were calling in sick. They were leaving, and they were going to a Wednesday matinee of the play uh, by themselves. And, uh, and that's the power of storytelling. And it's, it's funny, because I feel like so many of, so much of the storytelling that you've done, um, think of the American president, think of West Wing, think of the end of Few Good Men, mm-hmm. um, has really ended on that idealistic note, right? And I wonder what you make of the fact that so much of the critically acclaimed, beloved television drama today um, has really focused on the anti-hero, right? right? You've got Don Draper and Frank Underwood and, uh, and all those characters. Has that been, you know, what, what do you make of that? And have we changed? Has storytelling changed? Um, 
No, storytelling hasn't changed. It, it's it's never going to. Okay. Um, uh, I I just think that there's plenty of proof of that it's it's it, it's been the same for thousands of years. Like I said, it's the oldest thing that we do. Uh, I, I tend to write very idealistically and uh, and very romantically. Uh, you're right that that uh, television and I think. Uh, uh, some of the best theater in America right now uh, is on television. If you look particularly at cable, you're right. By and large, uh, uh, those shows are going to be about antiheroes. And as an audience member, I absolutely love those shows. And as a writer, I I don't know how to write them. Uh, I I don't know how to do it. I'm I'm crazy about Breaking Bad, wouldn't know how to write an episode of uh, of Breaking Bad. Do you think, though, that that those shows at all, um, the preponderance of them now, reflect any change in our culture? Have we grown more cynical? I'm not sure if cynical is the right word. Mm -hmm. We've grown... uh, I get in trouble sometimes when I talk about this, so I want to be careful how uh, I thread this needle, but here here I go. Um, Somehow, uh, very recently, uh, comparatively recently, Uh last 10 years or so, uh, uh, we have uh, commoditized nastiness. Um, I, it's uh, it, it's okay uh, uh, with us, and uh, and there's and you can make a living from it. Um, I, and it's something I, I find troubling. It's something uh, uh, I write about now. Uh, uh, because I see it. It's something that I think... I'm, a, I'm also a, a father of a 13-year-old, and it's something I think that uh, parents of young kids should be uh, alarmed by. Uh, but uh, if we were a people that... If, if we've always been like this, if, if we've always been nasty, if we came out of the cave being nasty, there was at least a societal factor that made us censor ourselves. Um, uh, and say, uh, you know, I'm, uh, it's, it's not cool to mock someone uh, who's fallen down. And that firewall has been all but lifted, uh, where it's, it's almost as if uh, 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 there is like a generational responsibility to, listen, there's always been a responsibility to, to check power. Um, uh, right, uh, it, that's one that, that uh, uh, you're incredibly aware of. You, yes. uh, uh, you, you worked in a job where you're... We have been checked. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, uh, where, where you were scrutinized every day, and that's a good thing. Um, um, but we've, we've never gotten a kick out of uh, so much of a kick. It's never been okay. It's never been all right uh, uh, to get a kick out of, uh, uh, of other people falling down. Um, and, uh, and it is now, and I just think that we can be a lot nicer to each other. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, I agree. And as someone who, um, you know, I, I started watching the West Wing in college. It is, you know, I was incredibly inspired by it. It's why I, I appreciate part, it. one of the reasons I got into politics, as I said, and, 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 you know, for the last 10 years, I've, I've worked in politics from, you know, through the Kerry campaigns, the Obama campaigns, and in the White House, and I've seen how politics has has grown cynical and people's view of politics has grown cynical. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, if the West Wing began airing today, would it still be as successful? What would, what would the reception be to the West yeah, Wing? I a, always, I've always it, been curious. That's a good that. question. I don't know. I can tell you that when, uh, when I did the West Wing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the idea was uh, 
first of all, th there was no political uh, agenda mm -hmm. uh, in involved at all. And, uh, uh, and, and that may come as a surprise to some people, because I know it felt like there was a political agenda. It was very unusual. In fact, it was unprecedented to have a show on TV uh, where you would use the word Democrat or Republican and, and, and where characters would have an opinion. Because what television, uh, the golden rule of television has always been alienate as few people uh, as, as possible. And that's why television uh, in its early days, you know, sitcoms, uh, father, in the Father Knows Best uh, era, um, people didn't even live anywhere specific. They all lived in Springfield. Uh, uh, you know, that, I mean, that's the joke of, uh, of The Simpsons. And the father was a businessman. Uh, and that's all you knew. Um, uh, and there was never a talk of politics or religion or anything that might... Everybody was white, but uh, uh, there, was, there was never a talk of anything that might alienate the audience because, by and large, we're attracted to stories that are about us. So you want to make these people as, as much you uh, as possible. And, uh, and I wanted the West Wing to to sound real. I wanted them to be using words that we were familiar with from the front page of the newspaper and from the news and, uh, and, and later online. My only political agenda uh, in my life is that I, when I was 11 years old, uh, I liked a girl in my class named Jenny Lavin. And after school, she was volunteering at the local McGovern campaign headquarters. And so I thought it'd be a good idea if I did too. Um, <laughs> Uh, and one uh, weekend, one Saturday, they put us all on a bunch of buses and vans, and they took us to White Plains, which is the next town over in the county seat in Westchester, uh, uh, where I grew up, because the Nixon campaign motorcade was coming through. And uh, we were holding up signs that said McGovern for president. Um, and uh, I was holding up one of these signs when a 143-year-old woman came up from behind me, <laughs> grabbed the sign out of my hand, whacked me over the head with it, threw it on the ground, and stomped on it. And my only political agenda has been the slim hope that that woman is still alive and that I'm driving her out of her mind. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, politics, Washington, it had always been anathema on uh, network television. And indeed, when I wrote uh, uh, the pilot script for The West Wing, um, NBC put it in a drawer uh, uh, for a year, um, uh, uh, they had, you know, they, they, they and I, I understand it uh, uh, completely. You know, they, they, they were struggling with, can, you know, can we really do this? They also had some goofy notes, like um, in, in the pilot episode, there are Cuban refugees uh, 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 coming over, and one of the network notes was, can't Josh Brad Whitford um, like swim out to save him? You know that. <laughs> uh, um, but then a new regime. Uh, uh, came into NBC, oh. and they, uh, uh, they, they put it on the air, and, uh, it, and incredibly, it was a success. It, 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 it had no right to be, um, uh, uh, but, uh, but it was. And, uh, and your question was, would it be today? Are we too cynical today? Uh, and on the one hand, uh, maybe uh, uh, we are. Maybe it wouldn't be uh, a success. But on the other hand, um, we were talking about this uh, uh, in the green room. Young people, people who w w weren't nearly old enough to watch it when it was on the first time around, are visiting it now on Netflix uh, yeah. uh, and DVD and, um, uh, and are into it. I don't know if enough of them uh, are into it to support it. You know, you, you especially then, you had to get big numbers uh, uh, if you right. were on a broadcast network. Uh, but 
I don't know. I hope uh, so. I, just, I, I hope so, too. But I consider myself lucky that it, it, the timing was all worked out. You have, uh, you've written some, uh, some complicated heroes like Zuckerberg. And, um, do you think you could ever write a truly evil anti-hero? Do you think you could do a script like that? I've, I, I've, I, um, well, there's a difference between a, an anti-hero and a villain. That's true. Do you think you could write? Uh, do you, I yeah. guess do you think you could write a villain? Basically, the, uh, uh, I'll, just to oversimplify it, basically the difference between an antihero and a villain. Richard III is an antihero. Uh, he does bad things for bad reasons. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but if you take the hump away, uh, he's a villain. He, he no longer. We, there's, we can no longer empathize. Um, uh, we can't say, "Well, I get it. He's mocked. He's pointed at. Um, uh, he thinks of himself as being ugly and worthless." And all that has alchemized into bad behavior, uh, anger, uh, uh, and bad behavior. Um, so that, that's, to, to over, again, to oversimplify, that's the difference between a, a, an anti-hero and a villain. I have a very hard time with bad guys. Um, almost as soon as I write one, um, I uh, kind of start moving them into becoming uh, a, a good guy. Uh, e even on the newsroom. Um, right. Uh, Jane Fonda now and Chris Messina, who plays uh, uh, her son, uh, you'll see this season, are heroes now um, uh, on the show. <laughs> and it's honestly, you know what happens? I, I just, I really like, what happens is I really like the actor. Um, right. uh, and, uh, you know, I kind of want them to be part of the gang. And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, and, and it's a terrible habit. The answer is no. I, I, um, Nicholson in A Few Good Men, that character, uh, uh, Colonel Jessup, I think is the closest I've come to being successful right. at, uh, at, at writing a bad guy, uh, and not because he twirled his mustache uh, successfully, but because his courtroom speech, uh, everything that follows you can't handle right. it. Um, I, uh, from time to time, uh, I, I'll be standing behind someone who's watching the movie, or I would be back when, the, when it came out, um, and he'll finish the speech, which is a speech in defense of uh, manslaughter. Uh, you know, why, why, uh, in the end, it was good that uh, uh, we killed this guy. Uh, and somebody will say, he's got a point. Um, uh, and that's a successful bad guy. So not that I am um, drawing any direct comparisons to my last question, but how do you plan to approach John Edwards? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, what you're talking about is The Politician. Yes. Um, and uh, it's a book that I optioned, written by Andrew Young, who was the aide to John Edwards, Senator John Edwards, uh, uh, who falsely claimed paternity of Riel Hunter's baby. Um, and uh, to begin with, I don't know. Um, uh, but it's, it's actually Andrew's story that... Um, uh, uh, that, that to me is, is more interesting. Edwards is obviously going to be a right. major character, um, uh, but uh, the thing, uh, storytelling-wise, the thing that's got me really interested is that the U.S. attorney, uh, before trying to bring an indictment against John Edwards, they, they, they gave Young uh, immunity. Right. But before making that decision, they wanted to make sure that their star witness, Andrew Young, was going to be the witness they wanted him to be, so they brought him to Washington and spent the day beating the hell out of him um, in a mock cross-examination. Yeah. I like that. Um, uh, that. You've been there before. <laughs> that, it all feels like a really good storytelling yeah, device a... to me. Um, uh, so I, uh, I, I, like, um, I like very claustrophobic spaces and pieces of time. Uh, and uh, so 
I, I think I have a better idea of how I'm going to handle Andrew than how I'm going to handle uh, uh, John Edwards, but I'll figure something out. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I hope. Um, so let's talk about the newsroom. Uh, the newsroom, very successful show, headed into the third season. Thanks a lot. Um, what have you learned about the current state of journalism from, from working on the newsroom for the last three years? Let me, and by the way, I hope you're noticing how deft I am at never really answering your question. I know. <laughs> and you'll notice I'm not probing too much. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, let, let me say this first. Um, I think, well, I'm, I'm going to let you all stand in for everyone in the world, if, if you don't mind. Uh, okay. Um, uh, I, I think you and I got off on the wrong foot uh, 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 with the newsroom, and I apologize, and I'd like to start over. Uh, okay, because I think that there's been a terrible misunderstanding. Um, uh, I did not set the show in the recent past in order to show the pros how it should have been done. That was and remains the furthest thing uh, from my mind. I set the show in the recent past because I didn't want to make up fake news. Um, It was going to be weird if the world that these people were living in did not in any way resemble the world that you were living in. Um, uh, and so I didn't want to make up fake news and also uh, there I wanted the option of having a terrific dynamic that you can get when the audience knows more than the characters do Uh, so uh, if you see a a date come up on the screen just for one example there was an episode in the first season um, that took place the night we got Bin Laden Mm -hmm. okay you remember that night by any chance? I do Um, do. It was a short night. Yeah, <laughs> but she wrote some pretty good jokes for the correspondence. That's right. The night before. That's right. We did. Um, uh, and so you know much more th- than the characters do uh, all night long, and that can be exciting. So I didn't. I I, 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 I wasn't trying to, and I'm, in, I'm not capable of uh, teaching a professional journalist uh, a lesson. That that wasn't my intent, and it's never my intent. Uh, to teach you a lesson or to try to persuade you of anything. When I, from time to time, write about politics, which I, I do a little bit on, uh, on the newsroom too, it is honestly because, for me, there is just a treasure trove of great stories uh, that can happen. I, I, like, I like workplace shows. I like workplace families. Um, uh, there's kind of, it, in all the television that I've written at least, there's uh, a, a, a recurring theme of it's okay to be alone in a big city if you can find work, uh, if you can find family at work. Um, uh, and uh, a newsroom was a very exciting, very glamorous uh, uh, place, just like the White House, uh, uh, to tell those stories. You can, almost any story uh, uh, is up for grabs uh, in a newsroom. As, uh, and so I, I was just treating the newsroom the same way you would treat on television an emergency room or a police precinct or a law firm. Um, that said, uh, uh, it is like in, in a, 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 again, I, I I like writing romantically and idealistically. With I, I I try to balance that with just enough realism so that it feels like whatever romantic ideal uh, uh, is in there is somehow attainable. Um, that it's not it's not a cartoon. It's not animated. Um, uh, there's no magic involved. We could, we could really do that. It, 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 so there's some wish fulfillment. Right. Um, uh, and these are people who are trying to do the news well um, uh, when market forces work against that. 
Well, what, what is your view of, of doing the news well? What do you, well what's it, the ideal state of journalism? We are right now mm-hmm. uh, um, shooting an episode of the newsroom, literally right now. I'm not on the set. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the cameras are running. I did not. This is, today is my first day ever of not being on the set of anything that I've ever written. Oh, wow. And I just hate it. <laughs> uh, it, it's well, awful. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, it, the, the set is in California. It's not going to help. Um, uh, uh, but, and we are right now uh, uh, shooting an episode. The, uh, this isn't a spoiler, I promise you. You find out right at the beginning of the episode that a bomb has exploded at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. Um, uh, and Will, Jeff Daniels, and Mac, Emily Mortimer, and everybody um, knows this is going to be this is going to go on for a while. This is going to be a, a long week. There's going to be a manhunt, um, uh, and, uh, and they, they keep saying, we've got to do this well, we've got to do this well, and then they follow that up with the question, do you know what that means? Uh, uh, doing, when we keep saying that, we've got to do it well, do you know exactly what we're talking about? And nobody really has uh, an answer to that question. Uh, uh, but for, listen, this all began with, you were asking you know, what I've learned about the, the media doing the newsroom. And again, I want to be clear. I, I haven't become an expert uh, in anything. I, I'm not sophisticated when it comes to politics, when it comes to journalism. Uh, I, uh, I'm not as smart as the characters are, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, or as you can see, uh, as articulate. Uh, um, I do a lot of it phonetically. I'll, let me inject a quick story uh, uh, that may help shed some light on, uh, on what I'm talking about. I'm Jewish, but I never had any religious training or education at all. never went to Hebrew school. But when I was in seventh grade, nearly every Saturday, uh, I was going to a friend's bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. And it was right around the time that I was also falling in love with theater. And I was watching these things, really regretting that. And in my family, the boys, there was a big party on your 13th birthday. Yeah. Um, uh, but but not a, I, I wasn't bar mitzvah. Um, uh, and I was really regretting it because it looked like really good theater to me. You were up there, there was an audience, there were singing and costumes and speeches, and I, uh, I loved oratory. Speeches in another language, that, that was the best thing you could do. Um, uh, and so six weeks before my 13th birthday, uh, I called a local rabbi and I said, Rabbi, I'm turning 13 in six weeks. Uh, I'd like you to teach me the Torah. Um, <laughs> And he said, kid, I can't teach you the Torah in six weeks. Uh, and I said, no, I've got a pretty good ear. If you can just say it into a tape recorder, I'll learn it phonetically. And he pointed out that was hardly the um, reason to, uh, to be bar mitzvahed. But um, uh, I tend to, when I've, when I've got to write, write about something, uh, I, I don't understand. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't, understand, don't have a sophisticated understanding of. I'm, I'm writing about it phonetically. Um, uh, I, I really am. That, that was all a prelude to you. Again, you asked me what I've learned about media, and I want to make it clear. I don't know nothing. Um, but I, I'm, I'm frightened that market forces are winning. Uh, I, I really am. I mean, we, we, we've, we've always... It, it, I, I, I had this line. Uh, I wrote this line. I, honestly, I... I think it was in Studio 60. Uh, I don't think it was in the West Wing. But um, uh, you know, the, the, there's always been a uh, battle between art and commerce. But, but just now, art is getting its ass kicked. Um, and uh, I'll give you a, 
small example of something that was uh, uh, truly alarming. Uh, and it happened last week. Um, uh, and a couple of people did stories about it, but, but not many. 14-year-old girl named Sarah. Um, on her Twitter account, she tweeted a fake bomb threat to American Airlines. Uh, okay? She said, dear American Airlines, uh, my name is Sarah. Uh, I'm with Al-Qaeda. Like someone named Sarah is going to be with Al-Qaeda. Um, uh, uh, my name is Sarah. I'm with Al-Qaeda. Um, and something really bad uh, is going to happen to you. Any airline is going to be sensitive to this. But American Airlines um, uh, you know, has, has a historical right to... Uh, uh, to, to, uh, uh, you know, for this to really, them to want to take action. So they tweeted back, um, Sarah, we take these threats uh, seriously. Law enforcement will be getting your IP address uh, and we'll be taking action. And Sarah tweets, oh my God, I was kidding. Um, uh, 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 it, it, it was a joke, I'm so sorry. And then she tweets again, I'm really freaked out. It was a joke and it wasn't even me, it was my friend. Um, uh, and then she tweets, whoa, I've got 20,000 followers. And then she tweets, this is like being famous. And then she tweets, this has been the greatest Twitter day of my life. <laughs> and everything I just described happened in about eight to 10 minutes. Uh, okay. Um, Sarah has been taught a terrible lesson. Uh, and, uh, and I feel like we're to blame. Um, uh, and I, I feel like there are grown-ups uh, in the media um, who are just chasing Sarah's 20,000 uh, yeah. followers and don't care how they get there. It, generally, it's meanness is going to be uh, how they get there. Um, uh, it's going to be a hyperbolic headline um, uh, followed by meanness and kind of a relationship with the truth that borders on indifference. Yeah, I mean, see... You know, you, you said that uh, many times and tonight that you, you don't have a political agenda. I, I, I think you certainly don't have a partisan agenda, even though the stories you've written uh-huh. you know, come different. But it seems like you know, you've now written a show about the idealized view of government and a show about the idealized view of the media. It feels like, are you trying to, do you hope that your shows teach a lesson or say something beyond just the pure entertainment value about about anything, right? And is, it doesn't, not necessarily this, this guy in journalism is wrong and he's a right. doofus or this politician's, mm-hmm. you know. You know, I got into that Long Jenny Lavin story mm-hmm. uh, uh, about George McGovern. Um, uh, but that, that, what I m- meant to say was that the, the idea with the West Wing was that in popular culture, uh, our leaders in, uh, in government, our elect- elected officials have always been written about either as Machiavellian or adults. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I wanted to do something different. I wanted to write about a group of extremely competent uh, people, uh, uh, dedicated people, uh, uh, people devoted to public service, who, uh, and I, my favorite thing to do is to have somebody slip on a banana peel. I'm, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm happiest when I can write a good, when I can write some good physical comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm honestly happier doing that than you know, writing one of the big uh, speeches. But I, I always knew uh, that one of the rules of this show was going to be before somebody could slip on a banana peel, before Josh and Donna could um, uh, you know, go flirting down the hallway, before uh, uh, there could be any fun and games at all, we had to feel like these people woke up in the morning 
thinking about us. Um, uh, and uh, and let's see uh, let's see what that feels like. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, and I and I think that part of the success of the show was that uh, even people who disagreed with the, some of the political opinions that were expressed on the show uh, uh, were drawn in by the romance uh, of it. Um, that I, and I, I want to be really careful here. I love House of Cards just like. Uh, uh, everybody else. I binge watch it just like everybody else. Yeah. But the House of Cards is obviously the anti-West uh, Wing. It, right. It's the other that. And as entertained by that uh, as we are, uh, I think we like the idea that there can be a Brigadoon, this, uh, uh, this place. Camelot is probably the better musical theater example. Of, uh, 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 this place where, um, where it might be like that. That's good. Yeah, I mean, now speaking of, you brought up House of Cards, uh, speaking of binge watching, mm -hmm. Turning to technology and its effect on, on storytelling today, what do you think the binge-watching Netflix phenomenon tells us about storytelling today? What opportunities does it provide? How do you see it shaping the genre? I had this very... I, I participated in this very conversation last week mm -hmm. uh, a, a roundtable that The Hollywood Reporter did with some uh, showrunners. And one of the questions asked was, um, how does binge-watching uh, affect how you write or do the show. In my case, it doesn't affect it at all. I, I wouldn't know what change to make. I am a binge watcher uh, myself, and I frankly, I think it only speaks to, cool. Um, uh, uh, you know, if, uh, if House of Cards or, uh, or, or any other show um, uh, can get me not wanting to stop, uh, uh, you know, uh, a good on them. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure any of the writers or showrunners are, 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 are changing their style at all. Right. Do you think, do you think that um, kind of this long-form storytelling that you see in some of these uh, Netflix shows and HBO has anything to teach film? And do you think, I mean, there's all a debate going on. Is film losing to television? Is film becoming just more blockbuster? Is there... Film, I would, film doesn't have to worry. Um, okay. uh, uh, movies are awesome. We, uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, look where we are. Uh, 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 film's got nothing to worry about. There, there is no war going on, and uh, a film's not going to lose. Television's not going to lose. Um, theater's not going to lose. Uh, and no matter how much binge watching there is, no matter uh, how many different ways there are to bring the entertainment uh, in, into our home, mm -hmm. uh, I don't believe anything is ever going to replace the feeling of doing what you're doing now sitting uh, in a theater with a bunch of strangers the lights go down uh, and something happens on the stage uh, or on the screen. I don't think anything is uh, ever going to replace that feeling. And I may be living in one of my own romantic fantasies. Uh, uh, but um, I know that nothing's going to replace that feeling for me. And I, I have to believe that there are other people out there like me. I can't be the only one who thinks this. <laughs> now, one film that you're uh, going to be working on soon is um, uh, a film about Steve Jobs. Yeah. Uh, you also chose um, to work on Social Network with Mark Zuckerberg, mm -hmm. two icons of the digital age. Um, was it a coincidence that you chose these two films? To work it is on? a coincidence. It, that, yeah, I, uh, and um, uh, the Steve, uh, the Steve Jobs, the movie's called Steve Jobs, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, and it'll begin shooting in the fall. It's uh, uh, it's very very exciting. It is not. It sounds like it feels like I'm doing a plug now. Uh, maybe I am. Um, plug away. Uh, but uh, it's not a biopic. 
um, okay. uh, uh, this movie. Uh, it's it's not the story of uh, of Steve Jobs. It's something uh, much different than that. And, um, what have you What have you learned about Steve Jobs in the in the course of the making this movie? And how how do you how do you feel like you're going to approach? Uh, well, I've already, I've already written it. Right. It's, it's, we, we start shooting in, uh, okay. in the fall. Um, and he's a fascinating guy, uh, uh, a part hero and part anti-hero. And um, I, I, I don't want to say that much uh, uh, tonight. I don't, don't want to make any news or um, make anyone feel like I've approached the movie. In a diff- I'm going to let the movie speak for itself, okay. uh, I think. But, uh, uh, but he is a fascinating guy, surrounded by fascinating people. And uh, he, he had very interesting relationships uh, uh, with the people in his life, and uh, uh, hopefully this. Uh, hopefully you'll like the movie. <laughs> okay, you're watching. Um, so you were one of the rare writers whose whose last name uh, has actually been turned into an adjective, Sorkin-esque. When you hear Sorkin-esque, what does that mean to you? Uh, usually it means something bad's about to happen. Uh, <laughs> I, I always thought it was a good thing, but I don't um, know. I don't know how you. Thought it's it. well. I, I, it's, sometimes it is a good thing, but I, I, when I hear Sorkin-esque, I, I worry about what the next word is going to be out of the person's mouth. Um, but uh, listen, I understand that um, uh, I have uh, an identifiable writing style. Uh, that there's a strong authorial voice uh, uh, in what I write that's hardly unprecedented, either in film or television, definitely uh, uh, on stage, uh, but it is uncommon. Uh, and uh, I also understand that it's not, uh, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, so, uh, you know, you, has it, you live has, with that. Has your writing style changed over the years? You've been doing this for, for a long time. You get better at writing uh, over the years. It's one of the nice things about it. You get yeah. better at it as you get older, uh, and you get better at it the more you do it. Uh, just like playing the violin. Um, uh, it, it's something that takes practice to the point where when I look at the, the stuff that I wrote when I was younger, like A Few Good Men, mm-hmm. uh, it feels like my high school yearbook picture uh, uh, to <laughs> me. Oh, God, uh, what I wouldn't give to have that back. Um, uh, and uh, uh, so so uh, I, I think if anything has changed, uh, I'm, I'm able to catch uh, a bad writing um, uh, before it gets on the page uh-huh. uh, uh, better than I used to. The problem is in television, the schedule is so ferocious. It's so fast. With a play or a movie, uh, if writing isn't going well, which with me is, is most of the time. Uh, uh, it's a lot. Most I, writers, it's, it's most of the time. <laughs> yeah, there are some people, like Stephen King, he's always writing. Like, right. He's writing every day, and it's yeah. always uh, a great, and uh, I don't know how he does it. Uh, uh, with me, it, it, it's, it, it'll be ex- an exceptional couple of days, two, three days that I can put together uh, uh, where writing is going well. So if I'm writing a screenplay, uh, and the studio is expecting it next month, um, uh, and I drove into a snowbank. You know, I can call the studio, I can call the producer, uh, uh, and say, I know I said it was going to be next month, it's going to be four months uh, uh, from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- they may not be happy about it, but, but that'll be that. We're not going to do it until it's done. Right. With television, we have air dates yeah. uh, that have, we're working backwards. Uh, there are air dates that have to be hit, um, uh, and you have to write when you're not writing well, and then you have to point a camera at it. Uh, uh, so 
Uh, we, with everything, from Sports Night to the West Wing Studio 60 and the newsroom, we shoot my first drafts. Um, uh, and you just have to live with, there's bad writing out there. Uh, uh, now we had to do it. You, this is what you signed up for. Um, uh, and we had to do it. It's, it's, it's kind of like a MASH unit, you know, where I'm MASH. Remember, they patch them up and they send them off uh, uh, to go. Tokyo or Seoul, uh, uh, like where the real work would be done. We just want to stop the bleeding here. Some weeks, that's what it's like uh, um, uh, on series television. Yeah. Um, this, this make it as good as you possibly can in, in the time that you have to do it. But I, there isn't a single episode of television I've written I, didn't, I, I, I don't wish that I could get back and do again. <laughs> As you can tell, writer's harshest critics are always the writer himself or herself. <laughs> um, actually, I've got some evidence that they're harsher <laughs> critics than me. <laughs> I hear that, too. Uh, I wanted to save time for some questions. Um, and so we can just throw it out to all of you. Um, yes, I'll start. Are you happy with the newsroom? Uh, the question was, am I happy with the newsroom? Um, I feel like I'm just now starting to learn how to write it. Um, uh, uh, and um, I'm, I'm very proud of the newsroom. I have the time of my life working with the people uh, uh, that I work with, uh, but there is a, a learning curve, and unfortunately, that, uh, uh, those lessons are learned in front of uh, uh, several million people. Uh, again, that's, that, that's what you sign up for. Uh, I wish that I could go back to the beginning of the newsroom uh, and start again, um, uh, uh, and replicate what you have with a play, which is a preview period where it's being uh, done in front of an audience. Um, uh, but, uh, and I'm feeling really good about how the third season uh, is going. I'll look back on it fondly and proudly and wish I could get every scene of every episode back so that I could do it all over again. Uh, yes, sir. Yep. Perfect. But um, my I, one question that I kind of want to ask about the binge watching that we were you were talking about earlier, um, if you look back, if you look back at the television that you've written that has been fantastic, do you feel that the emotional impact of TV changes when you can binge watch the whole thing? Like, let's say if you can watch. Two Cathedrals episode of West Wing, and then go right to Manchester Part One the next season right away without letting that land. Do you think it changes context and how people will understand or feel about it? I, I think it's a really interesting question, and um, and I feel like I'm going to go home tonight and think about that question and have a better answer uh, <laughs> at midnight than uh, uh, than I can give you now, and and I apologize for that. Uh, um, but uh, and Lauren, is that you sitting? Um, it's a little dark there. Okay, sitting right behind you is my assistant, and if you give her your email address, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'll, I'll email you. Uh, I, I want to think about your question. I'll email you a better answer. Okay. Everyone's starting to pass their email address to Lauren. Now. <laughs> it's fine. Really, it's sort of sad. Uh, yes, sir, over there. Um, in terms of Hollywood, where it seems to be getting harder and harder and harder with the digital age, um, what advice would you have for aspiring screenwriters and filmmakers and how tough it is at the moment? Uh, I, th I think the advice I'd have would likely be the same 
advice that somebody uh, uh, would give you 50 years ago. Write, um, don't try to guess what it is people want uh, and then give it to them. Don't ask for a show of hands, okay? Write, try, to, try your best to write what you like, what you think your friends would like, what you think your father would like. Um, uh, uh, and then keep your fingers crossed that enough other people like it that, uh, that you can earn a living doing it. Um, uh, and I, I understand that that's easier for someone to say who has the luxury of, uh, of doing that than somebody who's trying to get their uh, foot in the door. But the most valuable thing you have is your own voice. That's great. That's no matter what the, the, the medium is, digital, no matter uh, what. Young lady, right there, yeah. Yeah, you. <laughs> Me young, thank you. <laughs> My kids don't agree. Yeah. Um, so you said commerce is winning, um, but I have a question, which is when 52% of the movie ticket buying public are female, but only 15% of the protagonists are, it uh, doesn't seem like commerce is actually winning. Um, are you going to, I mean, I know on your TV shows you have great female characters. Are you going to write you. a female protagonist for a feature anytime soon? I've always thought, uh, I, I, I don't know, is the end of your question. You're making a really good point about um, the disparity between who's buying a ticket and who's up on screen. Uh, furthering that point, these decisions aren't made by, uh, entirely by men. Um, uh, th- there are roughly as many uh, 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 women who can greenlight a film in Hollywood uh, as there are men from Amy Pascal at Sony to Stacey Snyder at DreamWorks, um, uh, uh, Donna at, uh, at Universal. Um, uh, but uh, I've always thought that there, was, uh, there is a great female James Bond uh, uh, movie uh, uh, to be done. Um, uh, that I, I don't mean literally calling her Jane Bond. I mean, um, uh, uh, but uh, a female secret agent. There's one of the things, uh, there's a misunderstanding uh, out there, too, because uh, I've been reading a lot recently about how uh, a a female-driven movie like, say, Bridesmaids is looked at as a fluke, Uh, the success of, uh, of that movie is looked at as a fluke, and therefore Hollywood doesn't do it. That's a premise that suggests that studio executives have piles of scripts as good as Bridesmaids uh, uh, on their desk. They don't. Um, uh, uh, Bridesmaids got made because it was really good. Um, uh, And I promise you, nothing but capitalism drives uh, decision-making in Hollywood. Um, uh, If if, if there's a sense that, that this will make... Uh, uh, that this will make money, it'll, it'll get made. Um, and I, I think that studio executives understand that, uh, uh, that it's, it's more than just 52% of the audience uh, is female. Uh, with, it's generally, if there's a couple, uh, man-woman couple, it's the woman who's deciding uh, what we're seeing tonight. Uh, so I, I think that they understand that. Um, and the trick is... Uh, uh, there just need to be more good scripts that uh, uh, that have the kind of characters you're looking for. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, hi. <clears throat> um, I, I want to get too much into the weeds, but you talked earlier about 
evolution as a writer and getting better at writing. Mm-hmm. I'm a filmmaker myself and you know, certainly know where at your stature. Did you ever have a moment in your career where you felt that to get better at the craft, you had to let go of some tricks or some older ways of doing things? How did you negotiate the fear in pressing on as a craftsman? Yeah. And do you still negotiate things like that even now? For sure. Um, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about with that negotiation. Uh, I'm, I'm aware that there are uh, tricks that, uh, uh, that were good for me when I, started at, when I started out that I could hang my hat on, uh, which I've outgrown, and that if I want to get better, I can't fall back uh, on that, which now just seems very easy and unimpressive uh, uh, to me. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the negotiation that you're talking about is about walking into a dark space. Um, and, you know what, if you're going to be a writer, you're going to spend most of your time in dark spaces. So uh, um, uh, uh, you might as well just do it. I'm, one of the things that really excites me about uh, uh, Steve Jobs is this. It'll be up to the audience to decide uh, uh, whether it's good or not. But it's one of the few times uh, in my life. I've written, the, the episode of the newsroom that we're making right now is my 175th episode of television uh, uh, that I've written. And no, I didn't mean to, I wasn't looking for a cheap round. I appreciate it. So. We'll give it um, to you. Uh, Steve Jobs is the seventh movie uh, uh, that I've written, and I've written three plays. Uh, uh, and Steve Jobs is one of the very few times that I ended up writing what I, what I set out to write. Uh, uh, when I began writing, and it's an incredibly uh, a satisfying feeling. Um, uh, so uh, that whatever negotiation happened, I came out on the winning end of it uh, uh, in the end. And a sign was just held up that said, last question. First, I have to thank you. Your writing is responsible for me re- meeting one of my closest friends and then my question being... Uh, but no, I, come on, I have to know how you did that. <laughs> story. Story? Yeah, um, you're, you said that I, I wrote something... I was a TV that... major in college, and um, Studio 60 was on the air my freshman year in college. And, oh my God, I can't believe this Oh, is this happening. is really sweet. And you met your friend wa- watching the show? He was distributing... We worked together, and he was distributing... <laughs> a disc of it to um, around the floor that he took from his DVR and was encouraging people to watch it. Uh, well, and... thank him very much for me, which is, uh, <laughs> I mean it. Thanks a lot. My question was so much of your writing is based on, is surrounding television or politics. What influenced you to? write so much about both of those? About, like, you're talking about Newsroom Studio 60, which were both behind the scenes, and Sports Night, uh, all three of which were behind the scenes at a, a, a television show. The West Wing Newsroom, The American President, uh, 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 Get Into Politics. It's two, the, the, here are the two big driving forces. Um, and again, I say to you, um, uh, it's, it's not a political agenda. It's one, uh, I find in politics uh, uh, just a lot of st- stories available uh, uh, that appeal to me, 
and that suit my romantic, uh, idealistic style, uh, uh, that, are, that are just suited to that, um, uh, as opposed to crime, uh, uh, for instance. Um, I, 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 you know, I like watching crime shows, crime movies. Who's better than Marty Scorsese, right? Um, uh, but I, it would be a bad idea for me to, <laughs> to write romantically and idealistically about the mob. Uh, there is that, and there is this sense of family uh, uh, that really appeals to me, too. Um, I, I also, uh, I think live television is really cool. Um, uh, uh, so uh, I've, you're right, I've done three shows now um, uh, where we've got to get this thing done by 8 o'clock. We've got to get this thing done by Friday night. Uh, uh, we have a show uh, uh, tonight. Um, and uh, there's been... Uh, uh, this this will be it, but uh, I remember very little about the movie American Graffiti, um, uh, which you it's it's hard for me to see, but you look way too young to have seen. Oh, okay, um, uh, I was really little when that movie came out, um, uh, and I haven't seen it since it came out, um, and I'm not sure I want to because there's this thing that I'm taking away from it that I probably have wrong. Um, and, and, uh, uh, but I don't want to mess it up in my head because it's inspiring me. But didn't Wolfman Jack broadcast from like a shack in the middle of nowhere? Uh, the idea of this shack in the middle of nowhere with a transmitter on top, and I just remember him eating popsicles too. The idea of, and he was talking to everyone in the middle of the night, right? Everybody had their radios tuned to his station, and he was just kind of taking everybody uh, uh, through the night. The idea of that, I've, as all, I've just always found it, I, this will be the 50th time I've used this word tonight, romantic. Um, uh, and so with sports night, I always imagined they were in a high-rise in New York. I imagined it as a treehouse um, uh, by themselves, beaming the signal uh, uh, into the night. The Studio 60, which was at Studio 60 uh, uh, on the Sunset Strip. I imagine them beaming this signal uh, late into the night uh, uh, on a Friday night. Um, uh, and the newsroom, uh, uh, again, this treehouse uh, up there um, uh, where these people, this close-knit group of people, are beaming a signal uh, into the night. So it's the romantic sense of family, and it's the romantic sense of what uh, politics can be, democracy can be at its best. Uh, uh, and those are the driving forces behind those things, and not at all a desire to change your mind uh, about anything. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much, and thank you all very much. Really appreciate thrilled it. being here. I appreciate it. Yes, absolutely.